This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. We have a lot of great stuff coming up on the program today. I'm really excited that you've tuned in for this one. We have two really, really good conversations as our features on the show today. The first of which is with Roland Mimesevich. He's the co-founder and CEO of 20 Billion Neurons. And Roland, I know I'm mispronouncing your name and I apologize. Please forgive me. But Roland is a great guy and we had a conversation just about what 20 Billion Neurons is doing in the space of avatars when it comes to the retail industry. So they've created an intelligent avatar named Millie. And what she can do is she can really interact with shoppers by observing and understanding their actions and the physical context in which they're moving and acting and that sort of thing. And she can also be integrated into a POS system. So she understands inventory and things like that and can help direct people in the right direction, can help with style choices and things along those lines. It's really pretty incredible. And she offers a level of personal care from retail greeter to also product promoter uh, to personal coach for enhanced skills-based learning. So it's a really interesting conversation with Roland just about, is this the future of the retail industry? Uh, A lot of people were moving in the direction of robots and Roland kind of has a different answer about that. So I think it's worth hearing what he has to say and it's a really awesome conversation. I'm really excited about what they're doing in that space of retail avatars. So that is our first conversation on the podcast today. Our second feature of the day is going to be a conversation that I have with the chief digital editor here at MarketScale, Jeff Short. And we're going to talk about the retail impact of the Super Bowl. So a lot of people spend a ton of money around the Super Bowl, whether it's going to grocery stores, buying jerseys, buying t-shirts, supporting different teams, all of that sort of thing. So we're going to dive into the total economic impact on the retail industry of the Super Bowl and really look back at what has happened in the past, what people traditionally do. And I think you're going to be shocked just at the number of people that go to Super Bowl parties. I know I was surprised by the number and I'm somebody that goes to a Super Bowl party every year that has a bunch of people there and all of that sort of thing. I don't know that I knew that this high of a number of Americans every year go to a Super Bowl party. So I found the numbers that Jeff has absolutely fascinating. I think you'll enjoy that conversation as well. So that is going to be our second feature of the day coming up in just a little bit. Thank you again so much for joining us for this episode. Without further ado, we're going to dive into that conversation I had with Roland Mimesevich, the co-founder and CEO of 20 Billion Neurons. Joining me now on the Market Scale Retail Podcast is Roland Mimesevich. He's the co-founder and CEO of 20 Billion Neurons. Roland, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. I'm really excited to get to talk to you because uh, you've been at CES and then at NRF here in recent weeks, and we've gotten to interact a little bit with 20 Billion Neurons and and talk a little bit about what you do there. So uh, I I just want to start off by asking um, how you assess the way that brick-and-mortar retail locations are trying to compete and innovate in today's marketplace. Um, well, obviously, there's a need aggravated by e-commerce to uh, come up with solutions that are, for one thing, engaging, attracting, but then also retaining consumers, um, adding lifetime value that e-commerce can play out nicely by having access to 
to uh, their email address and so on and so forth and make recommendations. And um, so there is a need, but also there are opportunities for retail, brick and mortar retail to uh, to fight back and come up with their own solutions that provide the same kind of value. Um, and um, one of the solutions is the, the avatar solution that we provide. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit throughout the podcast. Um, the main leverage that uh, brick and mortar can can bring to bear uh, in order to um, in order to uh, fight back, if you want, is um, experiential. So a lot of stores and, and, and a lot of uh, retailers that we talk to um, point uh, keep pointing out that um, uh, the store experience is something that makes a difference. Uh, that is retail specific, location specific, and it's a great chance to engage consumers in a way that wouldn't be possible otherwise and isn't possible on a website or something. Uh, and the other is digital, um, you know, uh, getting um, uh, shoppers to make use of digital technology by uh, signing on with their email addresses maybe or getting recommendations that are very specific to them and so on. Um, that's the other great chance that retail has to to uh, stay up and uh, provide value that that both takes some of the advantages of e-commerce, gets it into the store, and uh, that allows it to compete with e-commerce. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned your uh, the, the avatars that Twenty Billion Neurons works on, and and, and what you've created, and uh, I, th- I think you've affic- affectionately named it Millie, correct? Uh, the intelligent avatar. Yeah. Tell me more about what she can do and how she can really help um, retail locations, brick and mortar locations specifically, uh, engage their shoppers more uh, in a better way. So Millie is an avatar, as you said, uh, that is living on a screen in a kiosk on a life-size screen. So mm-hmm. it's a character that is about life-size that represents a persona, Um, unlike a run-of-the-mill chatbot that people might be used to, um, she has eyes and uh, can see with those eyes, so she can see the the person in front of her, and uh, she can understand that the person might be interested, not interested, walking by, uh, that the person is looking at her, etc., etc., and that allows her to have a face-to-face, almost like human-to-human conversation um, with the person or the persons um, mm-hmm. in the store. And um, the value that she provides that way ranges across a spectrum from uh, attracting people um, by pointing out sales, for example, and promotions mm-hmm. that are going on, to uh, greeting and saying, hey, you over there, um, did you know uh, we have something that really fits your outfit? Um, would you feel like uh, talking about this a little bit? Um, all the way to more utilitarian uh, um, things like uh, wayfinding, so it is possible that uh, a user walks up and says, uh, "Hey Millie, where are the hammers?" And mm-hmm. then she can say, uh, "They are in, over there in aisle 13, etc." Um, and uh, besides these, there are some uh, techier, deeper uh, abilities that she has, thanks to the AI that is built in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that is things like a style advice, for example. She can make recommendations um, that fit your persona, your style well, and uh, and point out where you can find that in the store and so on. So all in all, she is a, she brings a wow and a smile on people's faces and sure. uh, engages by being so human-like. And it's it's a novelty. It's something that the world hasn't seen before. Um, and she uses that in order to 
provide value that's specific for the retail environment and the retail experience of the kinds that I mentioned. So a, a retail location would be able to basically upload their inventory to Millie's uh, understanding, I suppose, so that she is able to provide those experiences uh, specific to each individual store, correct? And then they can, they can even, um, I suppose, put in different preferences to help with maybe outfits or, or personalization and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, that's correct. So um, there's a, a spectrum of use cases, some of which require um, a, uh, a connection, an interface between between the system that powers Millie and the inventory system, for example, in the store, the databases, um, which is very varied and and often very bespoke. So there's a servicing component there to hook up these these uh, pieces of information, um, and then there's a a broad category of generic capabilities that she has that do not require any of that and um, uh, that includes uh, capabilities like greeting and uh, attracting people and providing generic information that can be just put into a, a mask uh, in a configuration piece of the system um, and, and then it's set up and then it's going to say what, what you want Millie to say. Um, so there's this whole spectrum um, but yes, one part of that in some cases, is uh, hooking it up to a specific inventory system and um, making her very specific, targeted um, for the the use case and the inventory that that particular store has. One of the things that I find really fascinating about what she can do, and in, in you list this on the website, is that she can also be a personal coach uh, that's able to instruct proper form for dancing or for exercises in different sports and that sort of thing. So she is uh, also pretty versatile in what she's able to do in any specific location. That's correct. Um, the use case that you bring up, uh, um, coaching, sports routines and so on, is a more speculative, researchy uh, proposition. Um, we have a system where Millie can play things like Simon Says with you and uh, have you do certain exercises in sequence and comment on how well you did them and so on. Um, that is tangentially related to retail. It's something that we're exploring on the site. The, the, the potential value for retail, even though that has been validated uh, more than it has been so far, is um, it's fun that she brings to the table. So uh, you can imagine uh, environments where there are sports goods or even gyms um, where this is about uh, um, sign-ons for gym classes or something where she can, she can leverage that capability of coaching uh, as an intriguing add-on feature that again puts a smile on people's face and, and allows them to have fun and experience something, something extremely novel, an engagement with a impersonated AI that uh, people just haven't seen so far. And, um, and that's really what's, what's behind these, uh, these coaching capabilities that she, that she increasingly is getting. Now, a lot of focus in the retail space has been on robots. In fact, that seemed to be a really big trend at NRF a couple of weeks back. Uh, but you've really put a lot of your focus more into avatars, you know, like Millie, like what we're talking about. Why do you believe that she is a better idea and better for the retail space than, uh, than robots in general? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, robots popping up all over the place. Um, and these robots that are currently there, I think ex completely, without any exception, are robots that do not have the ability to see and understand what's going on around them. They have some kind of sensors 
that makes sure they don't bump into people and sometimes they still do uh, or uh, do very very basic uh, basic interactions unlike that um, Millie is at the heart of it a very very sophisticated perception system that allows her to really understand what's going on in front of the camera um, to understand how many people are there who's looking at me uh, um, make eye contact, um, have a have a face to face conversation that feels like an, an engagement, a proper engagement, and that is something that uh, you don't see with social robots so far. And I think it's still further out, probably many years out, that you actually have a robot that has a similar flavor of of actual engagement and mutual awareness of the fact that you are there and and that you also are aware of myself and can have an actual engagement in, in conversation um, so that's one of the big differences um, we do not deal with the mechanics of a robot that can somehow move their arm or something we deal with the engagement and the ability to to have a face-to-face human-to-human um, uh, type conversation and uh, sometimes we use this term the adjacent possible um, I personally believe that uh, going for robots right now is a bit of a stretch and there is much more potential in having a controlled character on a screen um, uh, technologically simply um, to bring across the, the dream that is behind all of these systems and engagements which is an impersonated AI, an AI that is getting similar to being a person of some sort uh, some kind of representation of a, of a being um, and uh, it's much much harder to do that with robots uh, and uh, I think the, the next wave of these kind of impersonated characters that we're going to see are all going to be on-screen avatars where the technology can focus on what's possible right now which is building out perception and uh, making things aware and, and able to see and then dealing with mechanical actuator issues and all of these these things um, where AI is still lagging far behind um, dealing with that maybe sometime down the road maybe in a few years when when the time is ready for that yeah that really that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me just that, that there are uh, issues that that can't quite be tackled yet um, but uh, with with what you have in Millie is something that is really unique and is able to really add to the overall shopping experience for a customer. Uh, I'm wondering what you think uh, as you as you see Millie what what do you think is the next step for her evolution when you say okay she's able to do these things what else do you see down the road as potentially uh, she could learn to do something like this or or what other areas do you think she could help in uh, down the road yeah so you brought up coaching mm -hmm. and that is something that is on the roadmap and um, as I mentioned this is on the roadmap and currently represented as an uh, as a delighter um, because it's going to take some time until um, she is going to have the, the ability to refer back to things that happened quite a while back in the conversation, for example. So memory, understanding what you said a minute ago and referring to that in a sensible way right now. Um, this is one of the technical obstacles that, uh, uh, that the whole community is still working with. Um, there has been immense progress on all fronts. Um, we all realize that with, with speech chatbot systems and now these avatars. Um, but there's a lot ahead of us and um, longer term memory is one of them. Um, and uh, besides that, there's an 
immense number of use cases that just haven't been explored properly because they are so varied and there are so many. When you talk coaching alone, just to use that as an example, um, you mentioned uh, uh, sports routines, yoga maybe, but uh, you ex can extend that concept way beyond that to, to general educational capabilities, teaching you piano lessons or things like that. The beauty of these avatars is that what you look for in a teacher is experience and you would probably go for a teacher with many years experience rather than somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience because that teacher will know what to make you do next so you progress optimally towards your goals. And experience is the one thing where these avatars have a clear advantage over humans because they can learn together, they can pool their learning and learn from each other's experiences to become the ultimate teachers and the ultimate educators and the ultimate coaches one day um, that exactly know what you should do next just from their experience in order to learn this piece or this capability uh, optimally. And um, that's all a bit out in the future. It's showing on the surface, it's showing up on the surface right now in, in form of these delighter coaching capabilities and these games that people play. But I think it's uh, it's clear that there's a road leading to that um, in, in not too far ahead a future. And, and that's very exciting because there's a lot of value that uh, gets created uh, because of these kinds of engagement. That is Roland Memeshevic, co-founder and CEO of 20 Billion Neurons, doing some really, really exciting work there in that avatar space, uh, specifically uh, in the retail industry. Roland, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you again to Roland for joining me on the podcast today. I really enjoyed learning more about Millie, the intelligent avatar, and what they're doing in that retail space with avatar technology and AI. I'm really excited to see more about what they do in the future. All right. Coming up next is Jeff Short. He's the chief digital editor here at MarketScale, and he and I are going to sit down for a chat about the Super Bowl and the overall retail impact of that gigantic event here in the United States. And as Jeff rightly points out right at the beginning of this interview, the Super Bowl isn't just a football event here anymore. You know, it, it's all centered around a football game, but it is so far removed from football on so many different levels. And the retail industry can really feel the effects of that game every year, whether it's people going out and buying food from stores or people buying jerseys and T-shirts to support teams. There's a widespread impact of the game every year. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I think some of the numbers that he has for you as far as statistics and the money that is spent every year on this event will uh, really surprise you. So that's what's coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. All right, I am Tyler Kern, and I'm joined in the studio right now by the chief digital editor here at Market Scale, Jeff the Punisher Short. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today, man. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah, I don't know if that's my favorite of the three nicknames that we've had in the last couple of days, but. Uh, Hey, we'll make it work. The good news is that you know that it will change the next time <laughs> yeah, you I'm visit us in the studio. Always eagerly anticipating uh, my introductions. Probably the best part. <laughs> <laughs> now, the uh, the Super Bowl is over, and now we kind of get to look back at the economic impact of the Super Bowl, especially on the retail industry. Uh, we get to look back at that, and also we can look back at previous Super Bowls and just kind of gauge how the industry is really impacted by such a gigantic event like the Super Bowl. But before we do that, Jeff, I want to have you power rank your three top Super Bowl party foods. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm putting personally. putting you on the spot yeah, here. Yeah, so 
Um, I think personally, uh, I'm a guac guy in terms of what I can make. What can I contribute to the party? I actually do make a decent guac. Okay. Um, but pigs in a blanket is pretty much a home run. Um, chicken wings, I guess, are, are a staple of football. I don't know if I'm really trying to get all dirty and gross. You know, I don't want barf. Or, <laughs> sorry, uh, buffalo sauce on my face uh, during a party. But uh, yeah, let's go with guac. Pigs in a blanket. Hmm. I mean, pizza maybe. I don't know if that's too boring, okay. but no, that's it's the fair. easiest party thing to serve. I think. You know what? Uh, it's it's up to you, man. This is your list, and uh, we're just living in it. Yeah, I think I'm going to be like mulling that throughout the podcast now. So you got me thinking. Well, okay, we'll, we might revisit it back at the end. Uh, but you know, for for a nor- northeastern guy, getting uh, putting guac up there—that's a strong flex. It's a strong flex, Jeff Short. All right, so we're talking about the impact on the retail industry that the Super Bowl really has, um, and you've got some interesting numbers that you've kind of uh, looked up and, and come up with just to. Uh, help measure that impact. But I think the biggest thing overall is just the number of Americans that really go to Super Bowl parties uh, because it kind of turns it into this gigantic event, regardless of if you're cheering for a team or not or anything along those lines. It becomes an event for Americans. Oh, you made a great point. I mean, this is not a football event. This is a national event. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, there's people that petition for Monday to be a national holiday. I so. am one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I think we can get behind that movement. But like you said, it's just a massive, massive, I mean, holiday atmosphere, um, regardless of if you're a fan of not only the teams, but of football in general. You don't have to be to enjoy it and to make a financial uh, contribution to these numbers. So um, the most alarming, not alarming in a bad way, but what really stuck out to me was the sheer number of people that are attending parties. So mm-hmm. um, our friends at the National Retail Federation, they have a really great uh, survey that they publish every year ahead of the Super Bowl, which I would recommend checking out. Um, and they said that 60.9 million Americans are uh, are planning on attending a Super Bowl party and 44 million are hosting a Super Bowl party. So wow. that's just a staggering number that shows you. I mean, you look at your average NFL rating, it's, you know, however many million, a couple million, but um, the fact that there's going to be that many people that are actively organizing something around this game and spending money. Um, I think the average American that uh, the NRF said in terms of um, – sorry, I'll just I'll restart this part. <laughs> um, also in that NRF study, they said that the average American will spend about $81 wow. um, for the game. Uh, millennials are leading the pack as a generation. They're on track to spend about $118 as a group. So, I mean, you can imagine you know, what that means for you know the economy, whether it's in Atlanta, but really just nationwide. It's an all-encompassing event. Um, and the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting but did also make sense and something we've already talked about on this podcast is that a ton of that spending is just on food alone. Yeah. So this is – a big retail story, but at the same time, you know, grocers are really cashing in here. About 80% of all that money that's being spent, that $15.1 billion that we said, that's going to be on food and beverage. So um, you got to stock up your fridge early. 
You got to stock up your fridge early because I know I've tried to go to the supermarket on Super Bowl Sunday. That's just always a bad idea. <laughs> like you're stuck with the bottom of the barrel of buffalo wings right. or uh, <laughs> like the last bag of Tostitos or some, <laughs> something like that. You yeah. know, when you got to stock up at the last <laughs> second, that's always kind of a, uh, a miserable experience, I suppose. But no, you're totally right. I, and I really like the point about the fact that it's not a football event. It is a social event. It is a nationwide social event, really that people gather around, and there are so many different aspects to the Super Bowl, be it commercials, be it the communal aspect of hanging out with friends. And if if the parties that you go to are anything like the ones that I go to, uh, half the people there don't even watch the game, really. Um, so that's just all a big part of what the Super Bowl brings. Now, there are opportunities after the Super Bowl for retailers to cash in also, right, With uh, when it comes to merchandise and, and the teams that win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, merchandise is still a huge uh, portion of the spending. It's clearly the second most popular behind food. Um, obviously, food is so universal. Everyone is going to be eating, and if they're hosting parties, you better be providing food or else you're right, no right. one's going to be going to your uh, Super Bowl party the next year. But um, – in terms of what football fans are really spending on merchandise, obviously all the collectibles, all the things that will ultimately become vintage uh, merchandise. But um, and for these NFL teams, it's the benefit of going to a Super Bowl is so much more than just playing for a championship, mm-hmm. right? So take the Los Angeles Rams, who um, are only in their third year in Los Angeles. Um, they have a history there, obviously, that dates back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, all of that, but they only returned to uh, the City of Angels a couple of years ago. Uh, so their fan base is sort of in that weird spot where they do have some older generations that maybe they've already ditched the Rams, and then you had a huge gap of about 25 years. So yeah. people our age are not really Rams fans if they're born and raised in L.A. Um, so they have relatively small fan base, actually, even being in L.A. and now being so successful and I was reading a study the other day that said they sold a year's worth of merchandise in the last 10 days since they clinched their Super Bowl wow. <laughs> bid. So that alone shows you, I mean, that is just a, a staggering number, a staggering feature. So that merchandise for the fans is really important. Um, and whoever wins the Super Bowl obviously gets just another bump. So uh, it's pretty amazing. That is really amazing. And I think you make a good point just that, it can be hard to really establish roots back down in a fan base when you've been there and then you leave. And then, you know, especially in a city like L.A. that uh, can th- there are other things to do in L.A. besides just sit around and watch football and that sort of thing. Uh, it's a point that Colin Coward makes on his show all of the time is that in Buffalo, people are really hardcore football fans because there's not a ton else to do in Buffalo. And I'm sorry if you live in Buffalo and you're offended by this, but <laughs> I just don't know that there's a bunch more to do, especially in the wintertime, than watch the Bills. But in L.A., there are a ton of other things to do. So winning is a really, really important thing for a team like the Rams to really get a lot of support in that city. So that is a really, really big aspect of what can happen retail-wise for these teams and for the revenue that they can generate just by making it into the Super Bowl. I'm interested to see on the backs of this type of a game uh, if there is at all a little bit of Patriots fatigue. You know what I mean? Like the Patriots have been in it so many times. This was Belichick and Brady's ninth Super Bowl together since I think their first one was in 03. Oh, one. Really. Oh, one. Yeah, oh, it's geez. pretty remarkable. <sighs> They've been around forever, it feels <laughs> like. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you wonder if people are tired of that team and tired of that 
compare and you wonder if uh, if at some point you know you get a Super Bowl with two really exciting teams that really haven't been there in a while if those numbers explode or not that's something I would be curious to see down the road how it compares to a, a game like this one last mm-hmm. night yeah and a really fun Twitter follow out there if anyone listening to this is on Twitter or even just a website uh, ticket IQ they kind of track ticket price trends on the secondary market uh, and they were saying that the dream matchup would have been Cowboys and Chiefs. So two teams that have not been in the Super Bowl in many, many years. Two very historic and franchises. Historic yeah. and proud, big franchises. And uh, that would have really driven up the price, not only of tickets, but we talk about the larger economic impact of a Super Bowl on a city. Um, those would be the teams that would probably travel the best to really, you know, they – want to see their team in the Super Bowl more than maybe anyone right now. <laughs> um, and you talked about Patriots yeah. fatigue. When you're in the Super Bowl for the ninth time in 18 years, the Super Bowl is really a once-in-a-lifetime thing for a lot of fans. Sure. And so how many people are going to continue to go again and again and again? Um, and so New England, I don't think, is the draw for uh, Atlanta that they might have hoped for um, as a host city because uh, you know one of the biggest metrics of the economic impact is you know the – Spokespeople for the city say, look at all these hotel rooms that we're filling. And yeah. they are, but you know, Atlanta's a huge metropolitan area, the hub of the South, really. Mm-hmm. A lot of those hotels probably would have been filled by just your generic business week anyway. Yeah. Um, so you probably are still seeing more people for sure, but it's kind of a fraction of what the reported number is. We filled 250,000 rooms. Well, how many of those would week, have been filled? Fill 180. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um, with the Cowboys or the Chiefs in town, it probably would have been truly a boom. Um, and not to say that the Patriots fans won't travel well. I'm sure they will. Had a huge send off. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think, um, like you said, the teams matter. They really do matter. So, I can I can kind of relate to how a young Patriots fan must feel right now because I was eight when the Cowboys won their third Super Bowl in four years back in the 90s and it it didn't really register the fact that your team wasn't in it on a regular basis you know the idea that (laughs) the idea that my football team might be really bad for a really long time never really (laughs) occurred to me it was just oh yeah my team plays in the Super Bowl it's just what happens you know what I mean and so uh, now it's been however long it's been since the Cowboys were in a Super Bowl 23 years or so and I'm thinking oh my gosh like this is an absolutely uh, crazy thing so you know I I, I can identify with those younger Patriots fans that maybe have only ever (laughs) experienced their team being good kids enjoy it it doesn't last (laughs) it does not last Uh, do we have an estimated number for the amount of money total that will be spent uh, in retail locations after this Super Bowl? Um, for the post, I don't have a, an estimate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, $15.1 billion is sort of encapsulates the whole um, a little bit before, a little bit after. It's just really sure. related to Super Bowl. And so most of that will be before just because most is on food, like we said. The merchandise fallout uh, remains to be seen. I mean, we just spoke about it with the uh, Patriots being in it for the ninth time in a very short amount of time. Obviously, you want your Super Bowl T-shirt. You want the latest Super Bowl T-shirt. Yeah. So I do think there will be a lot of spending. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to amend your previous uh, power ranking of your top three Super Bowl foods? Or do you feel comfortable with pizza, guacamole, <laughs> and I don't remember what your other one was. Pizza, guac, and... <clears throat> Pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, man, the only thing that's kind of also coming to my mind being in Texas and thinking about that is maybe queso. Yeah. I know that would be a popular one with our Texas fan base, but... Um, 
I'm pretty confident with with my answers. That's okay. kind of what I would want to eat. You know, a little bit of chip and dip, a little bit of a real aver- or appetizer, and then maybe a main course. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think I'm going. I think I'm going <laughs> queso, little smokies, and chicken wings. All right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think those I think those are my top three. Queso because it's Texas, and also because mm-hmm. I'm allergic to avocado, so I can't. Okay, eat wow. <laughs> so that's that's off the table, for sure. And then uh, little Smokies, you know, pigs in a blanket, that sort of thing. I I love the little Smokies, and then uh, chicken wings are kind of my thing that I make every year. So oh, nice. All yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. So we get down with some chicken wings. Nice, <laughs> absolutely. Well, hey, Jeff yeah. the Punisher Short, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Recapping a little bit of the economic impact all around the country of the Super Bowl. Thanks again, man. Yeah, of course. I'm just surprised that you uh, remember my nickname. Yeah, I don't know how you keep track of these. So They're all up here in the steel <laughs> trap, my friend. All right. All right. Thank you again to our guests on the podcast this week, to Roland Mimesovic and to Jeff Short. Thank you again for joining us on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Unfortunately, that's all we have for this week's episode of the show. We will be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. If you enjoy this content, we have a lot more just like it over at the Market Scale Industry page. Go to marketscale.com slash industries and then scroll down to where you find retail. And there you'll be able to find more podcasts just like this one. We also have written content. We have a lot of stuff covering the Super Bowl. We go back to NRF uh, from a few weeks back uh, there in New York. We had Jeff Short, our chief digital editor that you heard earlier there on site there at NRF reporting live and giving us a lot of updates on what was going on there at the show. So if you want to go back and follow along with any of that content, all of that is there for you as well. Like I mentioned, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Market Skill Retail Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>